there are like three Adonises and one Lady Adonis in this scene. A Venus? Yes, a Venus, thank you. Teen Wolf takes the cake. Tony got 99 problems. Is a bitch one of them? Yes, Jackson is a bitch and one of them. I'm pretty sure a lot of the kids were on Molly, for real. As Edward Norton said about Donald Trump, he's just a super soft, triple-ply bitch. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Wallace, and I'm joined by... Calissa Mullis. And Kate Colvin. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 5, Venomous. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. This week's Alpha Patron Howlout goes to Amy Edwards. Thanks for supporting the show, Amy. Venomous was written by Nick Antosca and Ned Vicini and directed by Tim Andrew. In this episode, Derek and his betas, Isaac, Erica, and Boyd, try to use Venom to identify the Canima, with Jackson and Lydia being their prime suspects. They intend to kill whoever the Canima turns out to be. When Lydia isn't affected by Canima venom like everyone else, Derek's pack plans to kill her, but Scott, Stiles, and Allison resolve to protect her. After accusing Lydia of breaking into his house and removing the footage from the full moon, Jackson takes back his house key. He and Lydia kiss, but Moonrise interrupts them. As the night unfolds, the Canima is revealed, but the identity of the Canima's ally remains a mystery. Our favorite quote from this episode is actually an exchange between Styles and Isaac. Isaac tells Styles about a time that he asked Lydia out and Lydia rejected him. Styles says, unrequited love's a bitch. Maybe you should write about it in English class, you know? Channel all that negative energy. Isaac responds, nah, I was thinking I'd channel it into killing her. I'm not very good at writing. His delivery is spot on. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's perfect. Sometimes I hate reading these quotes because I just do such a piss poor job compared to them. But you know, <laughs> I don't get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> For our first honorable mention, we have a line from Danny. He tells Jackson as Jackson keeps insisting on using a crazy amount of weights. If I come back and you're lying dead underneath a pile of weight, I'm taking the Porsche. I'm taking the Porsche. Dumbass. <laughs> Our next honorable mention comes from Derek. He says, you're still a snake, Jackson. Just not the one we're looking for. Oh, so dramatic, Derek. This is not the snake you're looking for. <laughs> and then finally, we have Jackson addressing Scott and Styles by saying, hey, testicle left and right. What the hell is a canima? Like, what okay. the hell is a Styles? Such great lines in this episode. 
Very, very good. This episode opens with Jackson testing his newfound strength by lifting weights with Danny. Uh, can someone tell me why they are lifting weights with the lights off? Uh, because it looks good. This is Teen Wolf. In other words, Slappy hasn't fixed it. That's right. Nothing is fixed because Slappy died in the previous season. I have to remind myself that Slappy is Will's weird headcanon name for the janitor from season one. And you guys aren't just talking about a Goosebumps Teen Wolf crossover. <laughs> How amazing would that be? I would watch the shit out of that. Jackson keeps insisting that he should be able to bench twice what he's currently benching. Danny says maybe on the surface of the moon. Because Danny's smart. He is smart. He's just perfect all around. And good looking and everything else. Exactly. Perfect Danny hits the showers, commenting that if Jackson gets crushed under the weight, he's taking the Porsche. And if it were anyone else, Jackson definitely would have had a biting retort to that. True, but Jackson knows when not to push it with Danny anymore. He knows Danny's buttons. Also, Kate, this is more of that water imagery you were talking about. I know this episode is just, well, really the whole season is just steeped in water imagery. I wish my job were to spritz people with water on Teen Wolf. I got to see someone doing that once while filming and it was fantastic. I was so jealous. I got to do it myself on the opening credit shoot for this season. It was pretty so nice. Cool. Brag much, Will? <laughs> yes, every chance I get. Erica appears, leaning over Jackson and helping him bear the weight. Jackson, eyes closed, mistakes her for Danny. I'm a little surprised he can mistake her for Danny. Do you think she also wears Armani? You know it. Erica takes Jackson to Derek, who waits in the abandoned subway station with Isaac and Boyd. I love this scene. He's so hot. <laughs> Which one? Uh, yeah, this is definitely a situation where you need to clarify. I know you said, you know, he in quotes, but uh, my God, there are still multiple great choices here. Very, very true. I was talking about Derek though. Okay, but there, there are like three Adonises and one Lady Adonis in this scene. A Venus? Yes, a Venus. Thank you. <laughs> when asked about what happened to him on the full moon, Jackson irritably says, nothing, despite what Derek had promised him know that Derek promised anything. Jackson kind of just showed up begging for it. Yeah, and that was after he low-key tried to play the blackmail card. Like, I'll expose you as werewolves. A dick. He shows up with a receipt. Derek, I would like to exchange this. I want my money back. This buy <laughs> did not work. I want to talk to your manager. Also, <laughs> here's the receipt card. for the shirt I artfully ripped after you bit me. So... <laughs> Derek says that a snake cannot be poisoned by its own venom and decides that he will discover if Jackson is really the canima by pouring some of its paralyzing agent into his mouth. So this is the same mirror piece from the pool, but why does it have the canima's venom on it? Scott was the only one holding it. The canima didn't seem to touch the mirror. It was Scott who got thrown into it to break it, right? I was just about to ask, did Scott go into the mirror or did they both go into the mirror? I, I thought it was just Scott. I thought it was just Scott right. too. So I guess that just means that the canima is... Leaking all over the place? Yeah, I was trying to come up with a way to say that. He's a secretor. Canima's a leaky bitch. We know that because Styles was affected by his secretions mm. in the previous episode. So, I mean, just by touching something, he's snailing all over it. <laughs> right. Even this time when he's not touching something, he still managed to secrete on it. I could buy that there were secretions around and Derek took that piece of glass and just kind of scooped up some secretion. Dipped it like it was a nacho? Yeah. Because glass is the easiest thing to do that with. No, it's the most dramatic though. And as we already know from previous episodes, if Talia taught them anything, it was how to do things dramatically. Don't don't hate the player, hate the game. 
<laughs> Derek puts on a pair of black gloves. Uh, buddy, why are you putting on those black gloves now? You were literally just holding the thing with your bare hands. Okay, because it's super hot that he put on murder gloves and you don't know if he's going to murder you or... You sound like Cheryl from Archer. Choke me. Jackson is paralyzed and Derek says he's still a snake. He's just not the snake they're looking for. And also we should have watched that video. Yeah. Can we have the video? We're asking for a friend. I think the betas show major restraint and maturity here by not drawing anything on Jackson's face as he lays there paralyzed. Like just writing loser across his forehead, which I feel like most people would take the opportunity to do. The ship called Styles. I bet he has some things to draw on his face. I'm sure he did. Before letting him go, Isaac says that Jackson needs to do something for him. I think this is our first example of tilt shift on the show. And that's where they use a special lens that kind of does like a jittery focused, unfocused thing. It's a cool effect. It looks fun. Mm -hmm. I really like it here. Then Derek just kind of walks off like, okay, you can drop him off somewhere. I'm done with him. (laughs) Erica, go find the dumpster you put Styles in. Okay, my headcanon is that Derek didn't know that she did that, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Yeah. Jackson tells the sheriff that he was wrong. He didn't see Isaac arguing with his father the night of Mr. Leahy's death, much to the sheriff's frustration. I have to say, the Argyle sweater that Jackson is wearing in this scene is so Jackson. There used to be sort of a fandom drinking game for Veronica Mars where you take a shot every time someone wears Argyle and Jackson would have fit in with some of those characters. He's an O-Niner for sure. I didn't think about that, but yes, yes, he is. Mm -hmm. Have we ever heard the sheriff talk about going fishing? I don't think so. It's funny because there are all those pictures of fish and fishing on the wall. And as Kate knows, I've used that many a time when writing the sheriff in fic, but I think that's the first time we've actually seen that on the show and I've never noticed it before now. In fix, I have the sheriff going on fishing trips and taking styles on fishing Aww. trips. Can nice. confirm. Sometimes having a fishing cabin up north. <laughs> yeah, you know, upstate. Upstate. <laughs> where all fishing cabins are. They're already upstate, so in another Let's state. go upstate. With the recanting of Jackson's testimony, Isaac is no longer a suspect and he appears back in class with Scott and Styles. Styles enters the scene in such a quintessentially styles fashion he's just like flitting around like a hyperactive little fairy i know and i love it so much (laughs) isaac looks so pleased with himself right here like he just like you know gives a give a smirk even though they can't see him much smug he is yeah and his hair is also very fluffy i just want to pat it (laughs) yes that smug definitely reads we are so good at this yeah he should have popped his collar (laughs) (laughs) Danny tells Jackson that he's found a program that can recover the footage that was cut from his video not really sure that makes sense because I'm pretty confident that camera runs on tape and not like a memory card or something but you know sure whatever how can they recover what's been removed I don't know enough about technology to weigh in on this it sounds wrong but it's also just reminds me of that moment in it's always sunny where charlie says burning trash it then goes yeah. up and creates stars and they're like <laughs> mac and are like i'm sure that's not right but i also don't know enough about science to prove you wrong <laughs> it's definitely not true but i also can't describe what actually makes stars so. <laughs> i buy it while the betas discuss testing lydia and killing her if she turns out to be the canima the teaser ends. Every time I see Derek in the credits, I think, baking, it's sourdough. It's sourdough. It's sourdough. (laughs) 
guys are idiots. <laughs> You're stuck with this for 80 more episodes. <laughs> this is now the Calissa show. <laughs> Jackson overhears Erica and Isaac talk about the Canima with his new enhanced hearing and asks Scott and Styles about it. He also tells them about Derek's test to see if he was the monster. Scott wonders why Derek would think that Jackson could be the Canima. Because he's an asshole. That mm. checks out. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Based on what Jackson overheard, it seems like Derek is going to have the betas test Lydia next. Styles swears there's no way the Canima is Lydia. Coach Finstock, who is trying to teach them economics, notices them talking and asks Jackson if he has something he wants to share with the class. Jackson says only his admiration for the coach. I really need a gif of Jackson's face when Finstock is like, oh, that's so sweet. And he makes this like, oh, don't mention it face. This very like magnanimous face. I need a gif of that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I feel like he uses it in another scene this season. Maybe when he's being interrogated by the sheriff earlier. Do you guys I think that's that? right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think before he processes, like at one point, sheriff makes that joke about it's never the right kids that get it never the kids who deserve it who deserve it yeah yeah dark sheriff styles insists that lydia is only about 60 percent evil not 100 percent like he saw in the eyes of the canima and it's a sexy 60 percent. that's what matters also they should really just trust styles styles has fantastic instincts about people as we discover throughout the run of the show they just need to trust styles yes don't trust it's this instinct Trust the styles. <laughs> While they have the discussion, Lydia begins to hallucinate in class. She sees Peter Hale writing on the board. The transition from student to Peter is really great. It is cool. And I love how the writing is in a spiral. Last week, we determined that the line about how the people closest to you can be the ones holding you back the most was a line that Peter had said when Lydia wasn't there to hear it. And now with the spiral, we're seeing that even though she hasn't been privy to all these werewolfy conversations about spirals and things like that, it's seeping into her consciousness somehow. It's very cool. I love it. Yeah. This is even the second time I've rewatched season two, but I feel like I'm just like discovering so much more this time around with our deep rewatch. So deep rewatch. <laughs> deep rewatch. Just a side note, what do you guys think Peter would teach if he was teaching at high school? Manipulation, coercion. Abnormal psych. The clear answer is drama, but... I guess you guys try. Oh, yeah. I guess you guys try. Yeah. And then hallucination Peter attacks Lydia, blowing chalk dust in her face. In true Peter Hale fashion, he comes toward her as dramatically as possible. He doesn't have to knock over every single desk, but he does it all the same. And she's backing away, cowering, and she's like, Why are you moving in slow motion? And he's like, Because it looks cool. And it does. It does. Side note, I was so disappointed when I went to buy this dress of Lydia's that she's wearing in the scene and realized that it doesn't exist because they altered the off-the-rack version so much. When Lydia comes out of the hallucination, she's standing at the board writing the same thing over and over again. You let her get really far on that. I just I imagine, like, Coach sitting there being like, wait, wait, I want to see where this is going. She's got, like, the entire span of the board. And I guess the whole time Coach has just been sitting there like, Interesting. Okay. <laughs> That's, yeah. I wonder if she'll get to macroeconomics soon. <laughs> Scott isn't sure the writing is in English, but Styles takes a photo and flips the image. It reads, someone help me. It's super obvious that the writing is just English written backwards. It's easy to tell because her handwriting is so neat. Her backwards handwriting is nicer than my regular handwriting. And Scott's even like, is that Greek or something? It's, uh, Scott, you are, oh, oh. 
summer child, Scott. <laughs> God, you're adorable, but just keep your mouth closed sometimes. <laughs> just stand there and look pretty, Scott. Just stand there and look pretty, buddy. In chemistry class, Harris takes the opportunity to insult Styles' intelligence while introducing the day's lesson. And he is just such a prick. Like, how long is he going to continue holding this weird grudge for absolutely no reason? Like, because the sheriff pointed out it was a murder that he was kind of involved in. I know, it wasn't even a rough interrogation. Like, (laughs) he hurt my feelings. As Edward Norton said about Donald Trump, he's just a super soft triple ply bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. There was nothing intense about that interrogation. Even the dramatic lighting, I feel like Harris just like put the light on himself. (laughs) You know? And and, and like Sheriff walks in, he's like, can I, I'm just going to turn on the lights. He's like, no, this is more intense. And I need you to stand like a foot behind me. <laughs> Two feet behind me over there. <laughs> it's a visual metaphor. Just go with it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a callback to something that happened to me earlier. It, it, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Harris has rotating stations for this class experiment. Scott is sure that Erica and Isaac will take this opportunity to test Lydia. So they immediately rush to her side to protect her. I love Lydia's face here. She is not impressed. I know. She's like, what is it? Testicle left and right. They're like, oh, why does everyone keep saying that? Do you think Coach Finstock calls them testicle left and testicle left? (laughs) I love that joke. That's good. When Harris chooses Erica to set up the first station, most of the boys in class spontaneously volunteer to be assigned to the first station. I like how there's actually a girl in the background who's raised her hand as well. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. Gay. So gay. That was not in the script. That was either you know, the director or AD or just that one girl who wanted to make a moment there because in the script, it says all the boys in class raise their hand. Doesn't oh. say anything about any girls. Oh, interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah, it, interesting. I can't say if I had been an extra back then, I would have been like, me too. Hands hand up. Hand is up. I volunteer as tribute. While being paired with Scott, Erica tells him that she can smell Allison all over him. She tries to seduce him, but he says she's not his type. Erica retorts that she's exactly his type. FYI, I'm everyone's type. I know, I wanted her to say the same thing. What Erica's doing to Scott is right in front of Harris. Does he not notice it? I think he has students that he hates and then he has students that he doesn't hate. Erica's in the doesn't hate category, so he's like, f*** it, do whatever. Styles finds himself paired with Isaac. He threatens Isaac that if he tries to hurt Lydia, he'll turn him into a fur coat. He learned that from Victoria Argent. Yes, he did. Isaac tells the story of being rejected by Lydia, and since he's not very good at writing, he's just going to channel that negative energy into killing her. Isaac brought the sass today. Yes, he did. Yeah. His sass game went up 1,000%. Like his floofy hair. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the bite brought out in him, just all the sass. There's a direct correlation between the height of his hair and the height of his sass. (laughs) Erica threatens Allison as they work on the experiment together threatens in a way that involves a lot of sexual tension. She finger bangs her under the desk, right? That's how the scene goes? Or is that just a fanfic (laughs) I read? Or wrote. wrote. (laughs) Allison asks what they're going to do to Lydia, but Erica counters that the better question is what Lydia is going to do to them. That's actually a good question. Focused on protecting Lydia, Scott and Stiles fail horribly at creating the crystal. It looks like they accidentally reinvented peanut butter. Take that, George Washington Carver. (laughs) I'm actually not so sure that was them focusing on protecting Lydia. I'm pretty sure Scott would have failed it anyway. Probably. However, Lydia, now paired with Isaac, has a perfect creation. Harris gives them the go-ahead to eat the crystal they've made. 
knowing full well that most of the kids in the class didn't get it right. Yeah, like Coach in the previous scene, he just wants to see how this will play out. As Lydia puts it to her lips, Scott realizes the crystal is dripping with canima venom. When did Isaac have time to put that venom on there? I don't know. He was sitting right next to her. It seems like she would have noticed, especially since I'm sure she was the one who aced the experiment. I mean, he would have had to take something out of his pocket, like a vial or something, and then like, it's very slow. We saw how slow it was to pour off the glass into Jackson's mouth. It's very it's, viscous. It's, yeah. So then he would have to slowly pour it on there or take the crystal and roll it in something under the desk. I don't know. It just doesn't seem practical to me. I agree. Are you drugging her crystal over there? <laughs> it's crystal. Meth. <laughs> <laughs> Scott sees the venom and tries to stop Lydia from eating the crystal. But if she's holding the crystal that's covered in venom, wouldn't she be paralyzed already? I mean, if it affects her, it should affect her just from touching it too. Like what happened to Styles, the mechanics, right? Right. Additional questions. What exactly was the experiment and what did they make? I think it's sugar, like basically rock candy. They're going to Big Rock Candy Mountain. I think it's actually interesting because as I said before, this is another one where Will so graciously gave me the script, the shooting script, so that I could make comparisons. And in the shooting script, it says, Scott stands, knocking his chair to the floor. Lydia, he cries out, but he's too late. Lydia swallows the crystal. Hole? Uh, It just says Lydia swallows it. But in this one, she hasn't actually, like, taken a bite of it, but he still backs down. Hmm. Hmm. And I'm not sure why. Because I mean, maybe it's just because she's already touching it. But, like, yeah, in the script, she already eats it. And that's why he, like, sits back down. This one just seems like he weirdly decides not to stop her from eating it. Yeah. Yeah. He also wants to see how this will play out. <laughs> well, maybe he knows because he's talked to Styles, and Styles is like, I touched the handle and I touched the venom and that was enough. So, I mean, if he sees Lydia holding the thing with the venom on it, it's like, well, it's done. Like, I mean, yeah. you can't get more paralyzed. I mean, yeah, maybe he had the same thought process that I had. Yeah. But the venom has absolutely no effect on Lydia. At that moment, Scott realizes that Derek has been watching from outside at a distance, and he now believes Lydia is the canima. Suddenly Derek. Yet again. <laughs> TM. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, Styles, and Allison try to figure out how to protect Lydia. Styles continues to insist that Lydia isn't the canima. Once again, Styles has fantastic instincts. Allison thinks that there might be something in the bestiary but it's 900 pages and written in archaic Latin. Allison thinks maybe she knows someone who can translate it. Scott says that he'll try talking to Derek and that he needs to be the one to handle it if something happens. Because his conversations with Derek usually go so well. Perfectly. Allison pulls a crossbow from her bag to prove that she can, in fact, protect herself. (laughs) Scott's very impressed. And is there an arrow in his pocket? (laughs) Oh, Will. (laughs) Allison asks if something else happened to make Scott so nervous. Why doesn't he tell her about Gerard? Why? Because he can be a hypocrite sometimes. He lectures Derek about volunteering information and acting on trust and Derek having to be asked directly in order to get him to provide answers. While Scott goes around very specifically and intentionally withholding super important information from the people around him, including Allison. The person that he, like, waxes poetic about every day of his life. Miss Morell gives Lydia a Rorschach inkblot test. Lydia answers, butterfly to each and every one. Her face is so adorable in this scene. She just does not have the patience for this. Nope. <laughs> Miss Morell asks what it will 
take to make Lydia open up to her. Lydia says she's as open and honest as a person can be. <laughs> Morel's like, Lydia, I don't have time for this and I'm immortal. <laughs> Ms. Morel then comments that she would have said wolf for that last image and it certainly does look like a wolf face. Oh my God, that is leading the witness, Your Honor. Objection, leading the witness. <laughs> In the script, it says that like all of them look like wolves. Oh, that's interesting. Except for so, the one that looks like Peter Hale's face. Okay, that's that was I that was what I was going that's to ask. Interesting. Whether there was one that, but like it, like, it looks like they're like progressively looking more and more like wolves, and then there's one that looks like his face. Is it like a Nickelodeon? Like if you, <laughs> it doesn't go into that like much you, detail. <laughs> yeah, if you if you like flip through them, does it does it look like that's a cool. human face transforming into a werewolf face? Because they all looked butterflyish, right? Like I mean, I mean, in, it looks like in, whatever you want to look like, Will. In the way that oh, a lot of those works. Rorschach tests look like butterflies because they're symmetrical, yeah. but not all of them actually look like butterflies. Yeah, she okay. was definitely just... That one looks like my father being disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get a picture of my dad? <laughs> oh, awful, but funny. In the library, Matt asks Jackson who could have gotten into his house to loop the footage. Danny points out that he has the skills to do it, and Matt says he could have done it too, or they could have even done it together. This was a cute moment between Danny and Matt. I almost shipped it. I almost shipped it. Isn't that like the fangirls coda? <laughs> I just want Danny to be happy. So happy. Danny seems to have a little crush on Matt, but he points out that Matt is completely obsessed with Allison. Sweet Prince Danny is so observant. He definitely knows about werewolves by now. You're too good for everyone, Danny. Too good for this world. I want to know like how he figured out Matt was obsessed with Allison because at this point we as the audience only have like the picture thing to go off of right do you yeah, think he was like standing yeah. over his shoulder being like Danny just... sees all dude yeah they Matt just walks high. around with his camera looking at that one picture of Allison <laughs> on it so everyone sees it yeah Danny just like <laughs> looks over sees it as like yo that's another thing I'm not getting involved in yeah also remember Matt was the one who took that picture in the tell that <laughs> That, that Scott then showed uh, Allison later in season Bring one. Bring it all like, back. How did, how did like you it. get this picture? It's like, oh, uh, my friend Matt took it. What? <laughs> he did what now? It's like, yeah, he was totally nice and gave it to me. That's I so would have cool. I would have loved like how in that episode of Community where Jack Black um, is in it and he's like, I've been here all along and they like insert him into all these other scenes. Yeah. I would have liked that. But for Matt with season one. Yeah. A Matt all along moment. Matt all along. Yeah. As Lydia enters the library with a protective styles escorting her, Jackson realizes there's someone else who could have gotten into his house. There's so much handheld going on in this episode. It's a bit much, guys. I don't know what y'all think. <laughs> I really love Styles following behind her like the worst bodyguard ever. Like he's trying. He's like trying to cover all the angles and everything and look around, but boy just does not have it. Nope. She's like, Styles, why are you singing I Will Always Love You? <laughs> <laughs> Allison presents a page of the bestiary to Miss Morell. Morell struggles to translate, but she can read about the canima and she jokes that it sounds a bit like a werewolf. I love Allison's forced <laughs> werewolves. It's funny because they aren't real face here. I need that gift too. This is a very gifable episode. It is. How do you think that since they can't read archaic Latin, they're able to, does it just say canima? Is canima the word used? Do they have, like, how do they figure out yeah. that's the page talking about canimas? I, I'm assuming that it 
is written like canima she like she sounds it out she doesn't say it like oh this is a word that i know she's like canima is that how that's pronounced allison's like maybe if that stuff were real which it's not but if it were that might be how you say it what does the rest say so what does the rest of it say kate well she translates that unlike a wolf which seeks a pack the canima seeks a friend ms morel says maybe it's lonely oh sad canima like a teenager allison says or anyone. I mean, loneliness isn't, Yeah. You know. There are lonely people at every age, Allison. Where do they all come from? Meanwhile, Scott faces off with Boyd as he tries to get to Derek. Boyd points out that he's twice Scott's size. And twice as handsome. That's just unfair. Girl, really. Cinqua Walls is a prince. That's not to say Tyler Posey is not handsome. He is a very handsome man. Very handsome. There's an embarrassment of riches in Beacon Hills. That's what we're saying. Everyone's just born handsome and perfect. Can someone direct me to Beacon Hills, please? (laughs) Point out on this map. (laughs) They just wouldn't let me in. I'd be like, no, sorry. You don't meet our standards. You'd be like trying to get into a really good club. Derek appears suddenly once again. Like Jason Voorhees. (laughs) Definitely made this joke many a time. Yes. And it's always funny. I'm not sorry. (laughs) <laughs> no, never be sorry. Scott tells Derek he won't let him kill Lydia, but Derek never said he would be the one to do it. Inside the school, Erica and Isaac try to track down Lydia. They just seem like they're having the time of their lives right now, trying to track her down to kill her. I just don't want it to get interrupted. Yeah, Derek's whole pack should go to pack therapy. It'd be like family therapy or couples therapy, but it's for packs of werewolves that have a lot of collective emotional trauma that they need to process in a healthier manner. They're going to howl it out. Do you think Ms. Morell covers that too? That'd be awesome. Probably. But the group is already a step ahead of them, with Jackson, Allison, and Stiles ushering Lydia out of the school under the guise of a study group. Meanwhile, Scott tries to reason with Derek. He points out that the creature they saw is nothing like them. Derek says, sometimes the shape you take reflects the person you are. Derek points out that even Stiles characterizes Lydia as cold-blooded. Scott's like, shit, that does kind of sound like Lydia. <laughs> Scott's response should have been, wait, when were you talking to Styles? Because that's what I want to know. Uh, when were Derek and Styles having this conversation about Lydia? Is he just like un- unload on Derek, being like, "Hey, this is my problem with the, like this redhead girl I like." I would not take well, relationship advice from Derek. Derek has really intense hearing, so he needs needs like a white noise machine, like doctors sometimes have, or you know, psychiatrists. And he treats Styles like his own personal white noise machine. <laughs> Except sometimes what Styles says actually, you know, penetrates. Nice. So we both used unload and penetrate in that <laughs> uh, discussion of Derek and Styles. Moving on. Moving on. Nothing to see here. Print. Moving on. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's actually a different line in the script for this that I thought you guys might find interesting. Oh, yeah? So Scott says, you saw that thing up close. You know, it's not like us. So Derek says, but it is. We're all shapeshifters. You don't know what you're dealing with. I only know because of my sister. It happens rarely and it happens for a reason. And I think that's really interesting. Like, because Laura told him or there's other sisters, do you think, like the way he says it is almost like I've encountered this. I mean, obviously he hasn't in that he, like he didn't know that cannabis were actually real, but I have to wonder if someone else in his family dealt with a uh, shapeshifter turning into something else. Yeah, like like maybe a, a human came into the family, like married into the family. And they were like, you want the bite? And they were like, sure, let's go for it. 
and they turned they weren't a wolf either like they something they else something else yeah like a wow griffin or a chupacabra that's so interesting why are you obsessed with goat suckers i don't know it's interesting <laughs> they suck goats that sounds awful if you're the goat <laughs> fascinating if you're just watching fascinating if you're the chupa <laughs> but yeah i thought that was really interesting i definitely would like to know more and it's cool I wonder, like, did Jeff decide to cut this at the last second? Did the director decide to cut it? Like, I just wonder at what point they decide we're yeah. not going to include this. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And was it going to be a storyline? Scott suggests Lydia may be immune to the bite. Derek says it's just not possible. But Scott also points out how nothing seems to be happening to Jackson, which is also supposed to be impossible. There's a lot you don't know, Derek. I don't know if you could win this argument. How can there be so much that you don't know? That actually was a gift set that you, uh, actually it wasn't a gift set, just a picture set that you shared on Tumblr once upon a time. Because it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Scott deduces that Derek bit Jackson. He guesses that Derek had been hoping Jackson would die. Weren't you, Scott? Wasn't yeah. everyone? While looking through his photos from the lacrosse game, Matt realizes only Scott's photos have a lens flare on them. That's weird because it should be like four players. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Scott has a theory. I've got a theory. Scott thinks Lydia is immune and she spread her immunity to Jackson. That's not how immunity works. He thinks she spread immunity to him sexually. Coach confronts Scott about some shredded lacrosse pads he found. As co-captain, it's Scott's responsibility to make sure people take care of their equipment, especially Danny's equipment. <laughs> or I'm not going to try to... I need to stop laughing at the things. <laughs> You're not doing that funny, Will. Stop it. <laughs> well, I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> Or I'm not going to try and help him get a boyfriend ever again. I love how much Danny is Coach's favorite. He straight up tells Scott, if Danny can't keep his equipment properly, I'll make you do it, McCall. You think he just doesn't bother confronting Jackson with anything ever? No. Yeah. It's like, much. you have zero responsibilities. You are co-captain and title only. Or, well, <laughs> as we've already seen in this episode, Coach is like, Jackson, I'm very upset. Coach, you look very handsome today. Get out of here, scamp. Get out of here. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Styles takes them to Scott's house to study in quotes. He locks and barricades the door, giving Lydia a not so believable excuse about neighborhood break-ins or a murder. Beacon Hills. Sounds about right. The amount of nonverbal communication in this scene between Styles, Allison, and Jackson is great. <laughs> Danny Pooty just comes in and he's like, am I deaf? Can anyone hear me? That's a community <laughs> reference, folks, uh, from the pilot when everyone's trying to communicate non-verbally and Abed is confused. Great show. Aww. Watch it after so you've watched Teen Wolf. Six seasons in a movie. Six seasons Six in a movie. Six seasons in a movie. It's also my stance for this show. Yes. Everyone's, all the fans, other fans are just like, seven seasons. Where else? Oh, God. Allison thanks Jackson for helping them with Lydia, but he reveals he has an ulterior motive and needs to talk with her. Of course he has an ulterior motive. You're the worst, Jackson. So yeah. Worst. I guess... Allison just has too much going on here to care. Like in the script, it even points out, Allison nods, but eyes him a moment longer, something unsettling about his darkening expression. And then the door swings open. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if we really get a moment in this episode where it seems like someone she's a little concerned. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they cut that bit for time or something where it's just like a little moment. Because also, I guess like if you have a character noticing something, like untoward, then they need to act on it. Otherwise, they're an well, asshole. Tony got 99 problems. Is a bitch one of them? 
Yeah. Oh no. One of Jackson. Really yes, Jackson won? is a bitch and one of them. Yes. That is <laughs> what is happening here? So, still at the library, Danny waits for his program to load. This is just not as exciting as they seem to think it is. I've seen a loading bar. It's not exciting, even if it's a scene involving Danny. Wow. Everyone has their limits. Matt catches Scott in the hall and surprises him by taking a photo, but Scott doesn't have time to think about this as he hurries off to talk to Danny. In the library, Scott asks Danny about his damaged pads, but Danny reminds Scott he was playing goalie and wearing entirely different gear for the game. Back at the McCall house, Jackson takes Lydia up to Scott's room to talk. He asks her if she still has the key to his house, and she tells him no. But using his new senses, he picks up on her quickened pulse, the sweat on her brow, and realizes she's lying to him. He's such a twat. Okay, but do you guys think that she still has the key to his heart? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> his heart's a block of ice. There's no way to unlock that. <laughs> Allison calls Scott and tells him he needs to get there now. Does anyone else think it's funny that the only time Scott seems to answer Styles's call is when Allison is the one calling from Styles's phone? Yeah, it just like senses tingle. Yeah. Derek and his pack stand outside the McCall home, waiting and watching those within. I always feel like somebody is watching me. And it's a leather club. <laughs> oh, twist ending to that song. There you go. Oh, that is not how the lyrics go. <laughs> As Danny looks over his ruined pads, he misses the restored video of Jackson. On the tape, Jackson sits up and stares at the camera with glowing eyes. So Danny just doesn't see it? Like he literally never looks at his laptop again? Mm -hmm. I think he sees everything and chooses to stay out of it. Like, he's like, I'm not going to comment. Well, the last place he lived was Santa Barbara. And that place had its own problems. <laughs> Allison Styles struggle with what to do next, reluctant to call Allison's dad, but worried they might have to. Couldn't she just say she was there protecting Lydia, which is true? Chris did tell her to keep an eye on Lydia as much as she could. Exactly. He, he could be like, well, how'd you get in? Styles has a key. That doesn't surprise me. Scares me, but doesn't surprise me. I just imagine Styles has a key to everyone's house at this point. <laughs> like Chris should probably just constantly change the locks because somehow Styles has probably gotten a key. He has they one go. of those things, you know, that has like uh, clay in it that you press the key uh, into. He just keeps one yeah. in his pocket at all times. They like, like in another episode or something, like in some adventure, they go into someone's house. They're like, oh, we can't get in. He's like, no problem. Just pulls out this giant ring of keys <laughs> right. and just like starts scrolling through it. So yeah. But are those Slappy's keys? Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, Bring it back. Uh, it well done. Well done. Upstairs, Jackson continues to press Lydia. It's so dark in the room while they have this conversation. No one on the show seems to know how to use a light switch. Okay, it wouldn't Come be on. nearly as dramatic. Come on, you gotta have that moon hitting him, all that nice little soft light. So dramatic. It does look good. Jackson pushes her to confess to altering the tape, saying she took the footage like she takes everything. What else is he even talking about? I have no idea. Projecting something. I don't know. Yeah. Probably. Liddy has no idea what he's talking about, but she finally breaks and takes his key, which she keeps on a necklace and gives it back to him. She should have said, you can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Now, f*** off. I'm sure Styles would offer her a key. Definitely. Yeah. To every house in Beacon Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's what was in that big box he gives her in a couple episodes. Nice. It jangles. Happy birthday. <laughs> She's like, what? How much metal is in there? Lydia says she hates Jackson, but he says he knows this isn't true. Okay, why can't he just let her have that? 
Why does he have to take even that from her? Because he's Jackson. Then Lydia and Jackson start to make out. You're beautiful when you cry, like he tells her using Styles' pickup line. And then they bang in Scott's bed. Oh my God, that would be hilarious. What's this sting? (laughs) Oh God. As they do, kiss that is, not have sex, the back of Jackson's <laughs> neck begins to change and becomes more scale-like. How did she not feel that? Seems like she was getting pretty close. She's distraught. Um, I don't care how distraught I am. I think I'm going to notice some scales forming on the person I'm kissing. It's for her pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Styles reminds Allison that they told Scott they could protect themselves. He suggests that Allison just shoot one of them, preferably Derek, in the head. Always so focused on Derek Styles. I love Styles and Allison working together, though. Yeah, they're a great duo. They're my friendship OTP. Let's both try to impress Scott. Come on, we can do it <laughs> together. <laughs> but that's when they realize one of the betas is now missing, Isaac. Yeah, there's a lot of zoom going on in this scene, including in this bit. It kind of zooms in on what's amiss. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Make my heart go boom, boom. Isaac appears behind them and attacks. Lydia breaks the kiss as she hears the commotion downstairs. That's your guardian angel stopping you from making a huge mistake. And that mistake is banging a lizard man. Lydia creeps outside the door and misses Jackson beginning to transform behind her. Allison warns her that someone is trying to break in and tells her to go back into the room. I know Scott was raised by a single mom, but I had no idea he lived in such a bad part of town in this three-story house. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there are so many murders and unexplained deaths that the property values are very low. (laughs) Lydia goes back into the room, but she finds it empty. Jackson is gone. She locks herself in the bathroom and calls the police. At the same time, Allison realizes the canema is there as venom drips from the open window. Erica gets into the house and taunts Allison about trying to steal Scott away from her. Allison shoots her with the crossbow. Erica catches the arrow with ease, but it turns out that was the plan all along. Erica realizes the arrow is covered in canima venom, which Allison got from the windowsill. Erica falls to the ground, paralyzed. Allison plays with Erica's hair as she taunts her right back. Not gonna lie. I kind of ship it a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean a lot bit. (laughs) It's just, yeah. Erica's so obsessed with like, ooh, Allison, I'm gonna steal your boyfriend. But I think she really just wants to cut out the middleman and get together with Allison. Which and was kind of her. implied in that chemistry scene. Mm, there was, was a lot of chemistry. Allison references a comment Erica made earlier about being psychic, saying, I thought you were psychic, bitch. Burn. Burn. The door opens and Scott, having finally arrived, throws Isaac and Erica out at Boyd and Derek's feet. Gotta do everything your damn self. I just imagine Derek being like, okay, Boyd, you grab one, I'll grab the other. With a big hail trademarked sigh. Yep. Derek says he realizes why Scott has been refusing him. Scott isn't an Omega. He's the alpha of his own pack. But Derek insists Scott can't beat him. They're interrupted by the Canima appearing on the McCall roof. Lydia appears too, asking what's going on. And they all realize she's not the Canima. Jackson is. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum. The Canima makes its way to a car parked on the side of the road. However, instead of attacking, the Canima puts its hand up on the window. On the other side of the glass, a mysterious figure puts their hand against the Canima's. Hi, friend. This is such a sweet moment. Oh, boop his nose. (laughs) Or, you know, his little slits. (laughs) Boop the slits. 
Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Sure>. God. <laughs> started it. Kanima takes off and the car drives away. End of episode. Okay, uh, so we have a couple other things from the Venomous script that I wanted to touch on that I uh, just thought fans might be interested in. We have whenever Lydia starts making her way downstairs after she hears the crash sound, she says, Allison, Styles, what's happening? She actually calls out to them by their names. And in the episode, she doesn't actually do that. Mm. And we also have whenever Lydia comes out the house, it says, shocked Derek stares at the innocent girl he nearly had killed, but he's not the only one surprised. And I just thought that was an interesting little detail that we have him supposed to be really shocked because he almost had her killed. Yeah. He was so sure and so wrong. Very wrong. He owes st- Styles 10 bucks. <laughs> At least. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Venomous. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. I think I'm finally getting why you keep refusing me, Scott. You're not an Omega. You're already an alpha of your own pack. But you know you can't beat me. All right, Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Daniel Flores, the costume supervisor of Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. What first drew you to costumes? Um, actually, you know, that's funny that, that you say uh, drew me because I don't think anything, and I think the industry found me. That's how, that's how my, the first supervisor that I worked with um, said that you just really don't go looking for it. It just kind of comes looking for you. And I was in, I was in banking before and the crash of 2008 uh, left me jobless, uh, which was also pretty great because I had a client who reached out to me and he was the head of lighting for Fox, introduced me to uh, a supervisor at the time that was doing this show called Bones. And so I I was a PA for Bones for like two years and I ended up uh, really liking it. I actually grew up with a, a, a mom who it was a seamstress and she uh, specialized in, in clothes making and, and wedding dresses. And so she taught me how to sew. I never thought I'd use that in my adult life. And then all of a sudden here I am placed in costumes and it came in a little handy here and there. Nice. So yeah, I guess you can say I didn't really, I wasn't drawn to it. It was, it found me. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, then how did Teen Wolf find you then? And well, so while I was on, on Bones, my second season there, I think it was their fifth or sixth season, um, I am really close to uh, Jeff, Jeff Davis, who's the creator of the show. And so he sent me this script for the, the pilot for Teen Wolf. And, and he was like, what do you think? And I was like, well, it's, it's super cheesy. The kids will eat it up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is this is the perfect. Uh, de- it's perfect for the that demographic, and so uh, so yeah. He asked me if uh, if I would go help him uh, supervise or design that show. But at the time, I was just I was on I was a PA and I was just barely getting to set work, and so I went in as a set costumer. You have a fun little cameo in the season two episode, Frenemy. How did that come about? So. 
so we were filming at this this well when we first had the script we were we were in the um we were in the production meeting and russell mulcahy in his in his own special way we were at the meeting he's like daniel uh, I, sh- I think you should do this cameo. We're just, we're just gonna be a wide shot. Do you like my impersonation? Well, it's everyone. Almost <laughs> everyone fantastic. has done uh, an impersonation of Russell. So no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the best. <laughs> so, yeah, I want, I want you to be in this shot. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a wide shot. It'll be very fast. And I was like, yeah, that's fine, but like it has to be quick because I'm working and like you know I got shit to do and. And you know, a scene can take hours. And so I was like, it has to be like, and he was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fast. So then like we we cut, we were at the, the we were filming at this club called The Jungle, which I had been to before um, outside of filming there. And so it was crazy to see like the lights on and like everybody's working, whatever. And, and so Russell's like, okay, you just have to be at the bar and you buy, you know, Tyler a drink and you just raise your glass and whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. Just like, hurry up. And so like they did like a really quick wide shot and I'm like going back into like my work and he's like, no, no, no. He's like, we're bringing the, the camera in. We're, do, we're doing a close up. And I was like, what? I was like, you, you, you didn't tell me we were doing a close up. Russell, I don't want the camera on me. Like, I don't, I don't really, I've never been an actor. I don't ever want to be an actor. And so I start like sweating profusely, right? <laughs> the camera's like right here. And I was like, I, I didn't agree to this. I, I told Russell said it was gonna be a wide shot. And so they did it in like two takes, thank God. And I had <laughs> I had to like towel off afterwards. Oh, no. It was, it was, I don't know how actors do it, seriously, because that kind of attention, it's just, it's not for everybody. <laughs> I know what you yeah, mean. I can imagine that. So can you tell us exactly what a costume supervisor does? Yeah, so we're more, I, I would consider the supervisor more the logistical part of the department as costumes obviously tends to be creative. And so, you know, you have your designer and your designer's assistant and all the set customers, like everybody has some kind of creativity. Whereas in the supervisors, yeah, like we'll, we'll chime in once in a while and we'll, we'll help with like dressing background or like some ideas or whatever. But for the most part, we deal with the budgets, we deal with the script breakdowns, we talk with the you know, directors and producers about money and what we can do, what we can't do, how many people we need to hire for this, how many people we don't need for that. So yeah, we deal with, with all of the, the logistical stuff that most of the creative minds don't want to deal with. You'll never really catch like a designer. Designers know supervisors' jobs and what they do and what it entails, which is good because you have to respect each other. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it it's just it's all logistics, pretty nice. much. Yeah. So you're you're like the producer of the, the, the of the wardrobe department. You're when some when Barbara's like, I want to do this whole costume, but it's all in tiny pieces of leather. You're like, oh, I've got to find all these tiny pieces of leather. <laughs> exactly. Or you, you you coordinate and you get everything that you need there, whatever the script asks for, and make sure, you know, the designer didn't miss anything, the 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 onset uh buyer didn't miss anything, the set crew knows what needs blood, what doesn't, you know, things like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Good times. You're also credited as costumer and then key costumer for some episodes. What what do those job titles entail compared to a uh, costume supervisor? Oh, so in order to be a costume supervisor, you have to have a key classification in your union. So in my union, in the costumer's union, it's entry level, journeyman, key costumer, 
which is supervisor. And it, it goes like that. Uh, there's also other departments like custom made for seamstresses and uh, cutter fitters for, you know, there's just so many different facets to, to each craft. But those are the, the three steps you, you need to take to get to be a key. Once you're a key, you can essentially run an entire department. You can't have a department without a key and just a designer unless you're filming in like another state that doesn't really require unions. That being said, when I first started on Teen Wolf, I didn't have um, a key classification yet. So I was just classified as a costume. And then as soon as I got the key classification, I was credited with that, but I wasn't yet a supervisor. So I can essentially run the entire um, department, but I just didn't have a supervisor title yet. Supervisor title then came like around the third season, I think. And after after that, I mean, it's it really between key and supervisor, it's almost the same thing. I just always I would prefer supervisor because that's exactly what I did. Whereas in a key customer could just be a buyer that happened to have a key classification, which allowed the department to move forward without having to have a strict supervisor or any kind of trouble with the union. It's interesting. How far ahead did you guys prep clothing for an episode of Teen Wolf? I know things moved very quickly on that show. (laughs) That's a new statement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on it always, I feel like it always went like the beginning of the season, everything was how it was supposed to be, right? You, you got the script, you had everything ready for it. So basically we were a week ahead. So we were filming and it, it also, cause we were also shooting in blocks. So we were shooting sometimes three episodes at a time. And so that was at the beginning, I'd say from season one to three or four, we were doing that. And then as we started getting our bearings, we started doing an episode each, each week, which allowed us to start prepping for the next script while the previous script was filming in that week. So basically I would say, Usually we had a, we were a week ahead with this show. It was not like that. <laughs> on every other show that I worked on, because I mostly worked on series, it was always a week ahead that we had time to to get things there and get things ready, fittings done, like it's supposed to be. Sometimes on Teen Wolf, especially towards the end of a season, we were getting script pages on the day. Wow! And so you know that well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we were prepping immediately. We were doing fittings on the day, probably mostly always, all sorts of, you know, blood coverage, multiples, things like that. So it was, it was probably, it was probably, it was the toughest show I ever worked on. You're welcome. So crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Can imagine like, yeah, working on something that stressful, but it like didn't show because it's such a beautiful end product. Thank goodness for the smoke and the low lights. Because <laughs> there was a lot of shit that went through the cracks. <laughs> but, uh, but it worked. It worked. You're right. It looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all did a fantastic job. Like Aww, beginning to end. Work. Fantastic job. So, yeah. Is there a particular costume that you worked on that you're proud of? Um, me specifically, since I'm not the designer, it's, I can not really say that. I mean, it's not my work. I thought the coolest thing that I got to do, and it was actually fun doing it, was on the last season uh, when all of our werewolves were turning into stone. I was one of the people with Adam West, who was one of our our costumers, who who made this clay mask 
and coated all of the clothes in it and allowed it to dry and then did like this non-toxic paint to make it look like stone. And so that was probably, that was like the most fun I've had. Cause we were just like messy and crazy and like, and it came out looking so good. Like I was so impressed on how, yeah, that was all spa clay. That's the kind of clay that you like lay in, in like a tub when you're at a spa with like (laughs) covers in your eyes. Right. That's, that's what we use. So if anything, the, the actors had like even nicer skin after they took off. <laughs> Win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Win-win. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I put a little on my face too while we were working. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was that, that was, I would have to say if I had to add, contribute to any little bit of creativity, that was, that was it. Yeah, that was fantastic. Cool stuff. So cool. So since you were involved more in the logistical side of things, did you spend most of your time on set? The first season, since I was a costumer, I was on set the entire time because I didn't have my title yet. I was pretty new to to, um, costuming in general. I, I had only been doing it for about two to three years. So I was still getting my, you know, you have to have a certain amount of time to go up the bearings in the, in the union. Right. And so First season on set the entire time. Second season, I started um, getting into supervising a little bit more. By the time we moved back here to California, I was in the office the entire time. Once in a while, I'd go out to set just to you know talk to the customers, see how everything everything's doing, you know, say hi to the actors and make sure everybody has what they need. But yeah, for the most part, I would say the majority of the the show, I was I was in the office. That's good because we had some very long nights. Oh, yeah. on, on that show and and who who really wants to stay up 14 <sighs> hours overnight dude try doing that in the first season with like negative 14 degree weather out in Conyers in Georgia I was like I don't I can't I can't do that anymore I, <laughs> I'm like I almost oh. got by one of my toes oh no it was a, it was a lot, yeah. It, it, there's just something about filming in California. I mean, obviously Atlanta is a great place to film, but you know you cannot beat the weather when you're filming at five in the freaking morning in the middle of the woods in December. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so Barbara mentioned that really only the styles clothes were worn off the rack. Was there a lot of fittings that were required for the actors since everything was like so tailored to them? Well, with the amount of time that we had, <laughs> a lot of the fittings were done immediately. Um, Maria, who was our, our seamstress, she was she did what she could with the amount of time that she had and she did it well. Whenever, the, always with, uh, with the females, you, you just, I mean, that's, you want a certain look with the males it's it's a little easier especially on a, a contemporary show like teen wolf because you know just boys don't need all that fittedness or whatever <laughs> especially high school boys in, in this in this kind of show and so most of the times it was just hems for the boys taking in the shirts in the back for the girls definitely the waists and like making sure they're comfortable and and all that so yeah i mean dylan or, or styles was typically like no fuss he's just like put it on he's like I'm done I'm going to set leave me alone um (laughs) uh, when it came to to the girls I mean girls will always want a certain look and you have to you have to honor that whether you have the time or not so whether Maria had a chance to or I had a costumer there just doing a quick stitch to hold it until we had time to get it off the actor and then properly get it you know altered then yeah, but thank you. They they all wore it well. Other than 
the sort of cement version of, of some of the costumes in the final season. Do you have any other favorite costumes from the show? Yeah, I would say the Dread Doctors were just unbelievably cool. Yeah. You know, they were just, they had that awesome steampunk thing going on. Um, I, I, I wish they had like, I know our show was always filmed very dark and smoky, but I wish like you could really see the embellishments and like the small details that went into those outfits. Plus, you know, the masks that went in from special effects with the tubes and just, oh, we had those like on these mannequins in the front in our wardrobe offices when you would walk in because I just, I love them. I just wanted everybody to see them. Second to that was the Duroc. That one was also, because you mentioned a a thousand little pieces of leather earlier. Her costume was, were a thousand little pieces of something (laughs) to get leather. Which if you saw that too, you would just be like, oh my God, this is crazy. And we had to make like three of them. Oh, so yeah, I would say Dread Doctor is number one for sure. Nice. Whenever Will gave us a set tour, I was so excited to go to wardrobe. And it was amazing seeing that they, yeah, the costumes that were on display. It was, um, Barbara so- said that was all you and yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, well, I, I was always there and I just, you know, you want to have like, uh, we had so many tours and so many people walking through and, it's nice to showcase to showcase our our work, you know. That so much went into it, and it's so nice that you got to walk through there. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that's, I that's love cool. the Teen Wolf clothes. Yeah, <laughs> God, we had so, so much of it too. God, I wonder where it's all at right now. I have a couple pieces. You? <laughs> Whenever, like, yeah, at the end of the show, they had like the. There was a big option, but before that, there was just some pieces oh, yes. that like guys just sold. And since Will had us there, we just yeah went through and bought some. We were uh, like, we're going. <laughs> we are going to that sale. Yeah. Well, I hope you got some good pieces. I think the only thing I kept that I sold, I have this, this wonderful signed picture from the whole cast from the first season, which was really cute. Uh-huh. But I, was, I also managed to, for my for my own you know mem- memorabilia, was one of Styles's um, lacrosse jerseys. Nice. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, so I kept one of those, and then I think the rest were actually a lot of the actors took them, and they like Jill Wagner had one, and she auctioned it off for I think her leukemia um, oh. uh, thing that she does, and I think Jr. Bourne did the same thing. They raised money with them, which was cool. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. That's incredible. Yeah, it's sweet. It's fun that you got to keep one too. Yeah, I, I didn't ask for much. I just, I just wanted that one. <laughs> I tried to get a, a what's it called? Um, a number 11, a, a, a Tyler Posey one, but uh, MTV had already taken everything. <laughs> Understood. <Greedy. Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're so greedy over there. They yeah. sure okay. <laughs> Do you have any fun memories from working on the show that you wanted to share? My God, every day was a fun memory on that show. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the 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 best memories were of when I would just go out to set and talk to all the costume costumers and and the actors and they would just tell me stories of their day or their personal life and it was just nice to to bond with everybody I think the I think the most memories were from the first season because we were just all of us we were such, such kids and I wasn't even like technically that much of a kid like I was in my mid-20s but you know you know like Tyler and Dylan all they were like in their teens still and so we would like go out to like these ETN over clubs in Atlanta and just sit there like we had no idea what was going on 
<laughs> and so the first season was like this awesome little we didn't know anybody either we were all new to Georgia and so we all got really close and hung out with each other a lot and I just made some really cool memories I can talk to you for hours about all the things that we went through and and did together and then you know as we came to California and the kids started growing up and getting these really cool careers, you can just see them like flourishing right before your eyes. Yeah, every I think every every day was a fun memory there. So we recently just watched the episode Raving and there's some crazy outfits in that one. Does wardrobe usually give the instructions for what background actors should bring and to wear? And did you guys like supply any of the accessories that they had, like the scarves and the visors or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. All of the above, yes. So when it comes to scenes like that, we typically ask the background artists if they can bring things that they think would deem appropriate for a kind of rave like that. And seeing as how they they hired people who were mostly like in their teens and 20s, of course, they have certain bright colors and, and craziness. So we asked them to bring maybe one or two looks. And then what our buyer does is goes out to a costume house or, or any kind of store that will provide that kind of clothing and will fill up like, you know, depending on how many actors or uh, background artists there are. For example, if there's like a hundred, we'll probably want like maybe two to three racks of just background clothes. That's just there just in case. And yeah, our buyer and probably our, our PA at the time will go and pick up all of this stuff and then just have it ready so in case the background actor doesn't have something we like we can just dip in there throw something on and yes that we had like half a rack of nothing but accessories bracelets necklaces glows uh, things like glow sticks and like a little bit more that uh, uh, what's it called decorated things are, are usually props mm. so we would deal with like earrings bracelets necklaces um chokers socks you know crazy shoes and yeah, so that was that was our responsibility. And uh, and that was a really, really crazy episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of the kids were were on Molly for real. Oh, <laughs> like, it was that was real. <laughs> but who knows? I don't know. You can't you can't hold me to that. I, I seem like it. <laughs> nice. All right. Sounds like a, a great time. A great time to be on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopping Atlanta rave destination here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure was. Who do you think was better when it came to creating costumes for heroes or villains? Oh, on this show, villains. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Because, I mean, our heroes were, were already, we had designed, uh, or we had already had their looks from season one. You know, their kids, their high school kids kind of they they evolved in their own way but you know still contemporary clothing and you know fashionable that you know kids nowadays were in that time would want to wear whereas you know the villains we had you know the canima which was didn't evolve any clothes at all you know we had the dread doctors and the uh berserkers and oh the berserkers were crazy yeah you know and so, yeah, I think all of the creativity and all of the, every single season, you know, we always had the, the one villain or, or the multiple ones. The, the whole time, everything was dedicated to figuring out the, the look of that villain, how to make it, how to make five of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I would say that the villains was definitely the most time consuming and the most creative and the coolest looking. 
Mm -hmm. some very innovative looks on the show. Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't, you know, it's, and wardrobe just, you know, touched on it. It was, you know, special effects, props, special effects, makeup. Like it's, it was just such a collaboration that went into these monsters. Yeah. Yeah, we love doing these interviews and getting to yeah hear about everyone working together. Yeah. And yeah, everyone, you know, is always like, oh, it was, you know, hardly us. It was all of this other. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, so modest. It's a cool little family because you see everybody, you see everybody and what they're going through. And, and we all, we're all in the same boat. We just want to get it done and make it look amazing. And we're stressed out as hell. But when you see, when you see it out on the screen and it premieres with the whole family, it's like, the stress and the anger that you were feeling at that time, it's just not there anymore. It was totally worth it. Wonderful. Behind the scenes, who of the Teen Wolf crew or cast that you worked with would be the best alpha? So for the cast, I would say that a good alpha would uh, would probably be Tyler Hecklin. And not because he's like like strict and direct, whatever, but he's got that like very zen. He's a Virgo like me. And I know I'm super like into star signs, but when I first met him, I was like, this guy's a Virgo. Like I can totally tell because he just had like this very Zen, very like constructive mode where like organization has to happen. This has to happen a certain way. And those are the kind of people who usually tend to be like the leaders, right? Because they'll still be like sweet and amazing. They'll know how to talk to people, but at the same time, they'll involve like group work, you know, make sure everybody gets along, make sure you like piece is kept right so yes cast side i would have to say uh tyler hecklin for the crew side i would have to say uh the director that came in was it season three jen yeah uh, um jen came in and mm-hmm. she was just this ball of like fire she's this ball of energy like at every production meeting she'd be like I love that sexy I love it (laughs) that was her word she's like if she loved it it's sexy and so I think Jen she she brought something into the production meetings that that was always there but she just brought it out even more gave this enthusiasm and like this like yes yes this is what I want she's just everything's great everything's exciting she's also one of the only ones that like, well, I mean, it was just a coincidence. So it was my birthday and I went to set and, and she had found out. So she got the whole cast and crew to sing happy birthday to me on like, the scene. And like everybody was singing happy birthday to me. My mom was there. She's like, wow, they really like you here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mom, you don't need to stop surprised. I am. Yeah. <laughs> surprised. I'm super likable. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely Jen for sure. I love those answers. Yeah, yeah. great answers. answers. Thank you. So, uh, fans were obsessed with the clothing on Teen Wolf. I still see pieces that are super rare go for a lot on Poshmark and resellers sites. But have you ever encountered that kind of interest in wardrobe on other shows you've worked on? Basically, Teen Wolf was was the longest show I was ever on. I, I worked in in costumes for ten years. Six of them was Teen Wolf. And, and every other show that I worked on after that was just like a season. I just did like a season here, a season there. And I'm trying to think of the, the shows that I worked on. And I cannot, I can't, I can't really think of, of, of that. Because I, when I was working on Teen Wolf, like I did have people email me out of the blue. I'm like, first of all, how did you find my email? <laughs> 
but you know they would ask me like where can i find this piece where can i find that piece and then like this this group of girls ended up like doing this whole thing where they set up a website and so you know i'd have my i'd have our pa just send them brands where to get it blah blah, blah. so that way they can you know take care of it because i didn't really have the time to to sit there and tell them exactly where to find each piece or where but yeah the fact that that was even happening was pretty crazy whereas in every other show that i've worked on if somebody was reaching out to find out something about a certain piece it was something that we would like custom made like a printed shirt or you know a belt buckle that that was a hero piece or something like that whereas in this show every piece somebody wanted to know where it came from which was there was very- a lot of like tumblers and everything at the time that was just dedicated to team wolf style yeah, where they try to like break it down everything so crazy right i did not know like how big that was i just literally thought it was like these two girls that had just started this whole you know teen wolf wardrobe thing and but apparently there was who knew <laughs> <laughs> so no teen wolf takes the cake do you have a favorite episode of the show it was always fun to watch like the shows with the, the cast and crew right whenever jeff would throw like a little premiere party or whatever but it was the, the last scene it was when the Durak. it was the episode when the Durak finally revealed herself loved watching that one because we were in a move uh, a theater that mtv had rented out oh that's so fun it was so fun it was i think the theater was called harmony gold which is here yeah. in, in in hollywood and so i was in the front seat with barbara and it was that costume was a nightmare excuse my language (laughs) (laughs) it was a really cool costume but the top part great the bottom part we hadn't really just like we were sewing till the last second when she had to like walk out there was like literally pieces falling off of it right and so she like walks in and we're like the whole time Barbara and I was like oh my god this is gonna look terrible it's gonna be like crazy there's just shreds everywhere and so she like the cloud, I mean, all the smoke dissipates and the wind's hitting her. And we're like, oh, she looks amazing. <laughs> so good. And we were like, Barbara and I were holding each other's hands and like, she's like digging her nails in the <laughs> How the hell is this going to look? And she just came right in. We're like, yes, yes, this is great. Other than that, the episode that was most fun to work on. Oh, shoot. Well, like all of them were adventures. They were all. I'm trying to like think of one that stands out, but I just I keep getting just flashes of all different things. Even for making like the intros, you know, like that's not even an episode. I remember we're like covering uh, my my friend. uh, My friend asked his friend to do to be one of the the models that was just covered in like black tar. Yeah, right. So it was like fun being there, like pouring the shit all over him. You know, (laughs) so that pops into my head, and yeah. So that's just I, I can't decide. Fair enough. enough. There's a lot of very cool stuff on there. A lot of very cool stuff, yeah. Love the intros. Yeah. How did you guys find pieces for the characters? Were there like a lot of, you mentioned buyers, were there shopping trips in which buyers go out? Like how did that work? Yeah, I mean, of course we would get the script and and we would go through it and see what we needed. And depending on what's custom made and what can be store-bought, once again, with the limited amount of time that we had, we kept it really simple. We went, we went to places that we knew would carry more than one piece. So places that provide fast fashion, unfortunately, like H&M and Zara and Target. And so what we would do is find a piece that we know that they were going to, that they were going to have more than two, 
because this was such an action-packed, bloody show, you're gonna ruin something every time. Not to mention, God forbid, the actor spills lunch on their shirt or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's always just good to have multiples. So, and with the budget that we had, which wasn't like that big. We also couldn't be going to Neiman Marcus and picking out like a Oscar de la Renta skirt and getting four of them. So that would cost us thousands of dollars. So for the most part, our buyers would stick to places that were local, that had a good amount of clothes, quantity wise. And then we would also, whatever custom pieces we might need, like for the World War II uh, flashbacks with Kira, and that was all rentals from from studios from around where we were shooting since we were out in Chatsworth there. Thank goodness. There are a lot of um, big rental rental um, warehouses out there. And, and those are actually really fun to do as well. All of the back um, flashbacks, the world war two and whatever, cause that's more supervisor as well. I mean, the designer definitely has some say, but when you're trying to match something that's already happened in history, you just try and keep it as close as possible. So we were doing, you know, Nazi Germany, it was really fun to source those costumes and deal with the costume houses and have those all put together and then have a fitting for each one. Thank goodness we had time. Well, we had to have time for that. That one, there's no like we're doing fittings tomorrow. No, like that was production knew that we needed all of that ready to go or else we'd be totally screwed. Yeah. So yeah, locally sourced fast fashion was the only way to go for us. Makes sense. I, I feel like the fact that uh, it was more like affordable brands is also what like really drew viewers into being really obsessed and like they could actually own it as opposed to like a lot of like teen shows where it's like they're wearing a $600 sweater. <laughs> None of us can run out and get an Oscar de la Renta skirt either. Exactly. So <laughs> and, that's how, and that's how most shows are. Most of the shows that I've worked on after the third or fourth season, they start getting a little bit more money. Right. So then they, you know, you start going out to the more high-end stores like Saxon, but then you just don't relate with the audience like I worked on this this one show where the character she was a lower to middle class character she's has $1,500 Burberry high fashion shirts on going to parties it's it's not realistic you know but you know whatever teach his own we understand the, uh, each show has their own look and Barbara, our, our designer, knew that, obviously. So she she would always, as much as she loves high fashion stuff, as much as we all like have high fashion stuff, she, you know, bit her lip and, and was able to work with, you know, Brandy Melville and um, things from down, even sometimes Kohl's, you know? Yeah, it can just really take me out of a show, though. If it's like, you know, I appreciate the fact that Scott was the son of a teen son of a single mom and he was just wearing more like Target stuff because that makes sense instead of like, yeah, him wearing like a $500 jacket. Absolutely. And a lot of the outfits are repeated, too. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff you may have seen from season one came on. You probably saw it in season two, probably came out in season three. Because why not? If the characters liked it, I mean, how many times do you wear a piece of clothing over and over again, right? Yeah. I know I do. I think you uh, just kind of touched on it a little bit, but how would you compare working on a show like Silicon Valley to Teen Wolf? I'm thinking money. <laughs> the answer. The answer is money. <laughs> the answer is definitely money. Um, as you know, our, our show Teen Wolf being an MTV show, it was, it was, it was very low budget. I was probably the lowest budget I've ever worked with on any show. And the show after, after Teen Wolf, I did this uh, the first season of On My Block, which was kind of in the same boat. 
And while I was on my block, I got contacted by Silicon Valley to help them do their, that fifth season, I think it was. And when I went there, the guy showed me the budget and I was like, you can make dreams come true. With this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know how much stress this takes off me? The, that kind of money gives you that kind of liberty to not be completely stressed out. But it also gives a lot of the actors and producers access to be like, what the f are they wearing? Excuse me. What the hell are they wearing? You know, why aren't they wearing high fashion stuff? You know, we have this budget, whatever. And, you know, some of the actors are like, I only wear Paul Smith. I only wear, you know, Jean Varvedos. I only, you know, for the show, right? Not in their personal lives, just on the show. So it kind of brings up those problems of like, well, so-and-so wore this. Why am I, you know, wearing something from, you know, down the street, whereas, you know, so-and-so is wearing sacks. So it, it makes those problems come up, but at the same time, you just got to find a way to talk people out of that. <laughs> I can just like imagine like you seeing going to Silicon Valley and they're like, here's the budget. And you're like, for the season? And they're like, for the episode. And you're like, oh. Oh, I need to lay down for a moment. Someone bring <laughs> me my vapors. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite a surprise. After that, I kind of got used to it, so I'm not going to lie. How could you not? So you touched on some of the, like, Zara, H&M and everything, but what were some of your personal favorite brands that you got to see on the show? I'm more about practicality. And so for me, I think that if, there's a, a unanimous love from all of the cast, then that brand is, is, is there to stay. For example, like Joe's jeans, albeit they're not super affordable, affordable, but they're not high fashion expensive. The thing I liked about those jeans was they can last like two seasons and not break. They were flexible. They're good for stunts. They were good for the actors because they're in them 14, 16 hours a day. You know, they, they want to be flexy. They want to be bendy. And so from boys to girls to everything, to every other gender, they love, uh, they love them. Joe's jeans, I feel like almost every character on our show wore them. Maybe Holland was the only one who didn't wear them. But yeah, I don't for remember the- remember her ever wearing jeans. Yeah, she was much of a pants person. I think you know, she wore she pants had- like in one episode. Yeah. It was a coup. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was a coup. <laughs> and Zara were my favorite because of the accessibility and availability. If it was up to me and we had time and we had money, I wouldn't deal with any of that, those fast fashion brands. I would probably deal with brands that were a little bit more uh, earth conscious, but you know, we did what we had to do at that time. I do love like, yeah, if you were able to, that you would choose to do that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, there was, I worked when I was on Bones, our, our lead, uh, Emily was, uh, is a, is a vegan and she only wore clothes made from organic cotton, no leathers, no, any kind of animal prints. She didn't even want prints. Like she didn't want the illusion of wearing animals. So I kind of learned from that. Do you have a favorite character whose costumes you liked the most? Other than the villains? Yeah. <laughs> I would, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pick one from, from each, each, uh, each typical gender. So males, I would have to say, I would have to say Tyler Hecklin just because he was so dark and cool. But, I mean, he definitely had the body for it too. So he was just like these, anything you threw on that guy, it just looked fit. You know, you didn't have to do anything to it. 
<laughs> so yeah, out of all the, the guys, Tyler Hecklin was just the coolest, right? As for the girls, no offense to Holland because she always looked amazing. Um, but uh, um, what's uh, Shelly? Shelly had, I don't know, there was something about her. There's something about her with the, with the clothes. It was no fuss, super quick. I guess when you lived your whole life as a as a coyote or whatever she was, it's <laughs> you're just happy to be wearing clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in the, in, in those in in the two in those two, I would I would say those those were my favorites. Awesome. Don't, don't tell any of the other characters, please. No. Okay. <laughs> Our little secret. Barbara also picked uh, dressing Belia as her favorite. Yes, yeah, yeah. If you could be any supernatural creature from Teen Wolf, what would you choose? Oh, that's quite a question. I think, I mean, without, I was going to say without hesitation, but that's because I just kept thinking of how awesome her makeup was. Uh, the Wear Jaguar. Oh, yeah. Yes. The yeah. There just wasn't enough of her. I think that we definitely could have written her in more because she's so she was just so badass, mm-hmm. you know. And Jill Wagner was the is the actress that played her. She, she's exactly like the wear Jaguar personality, you know. <laughs> she's just like balls out, you know. Don't f- with me, but I'm also like super awesome and lovable and like she's a rock star. That was nice. beautiful makeup, right? Gosh. Yeah, gorgeous, That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So hands down her. If the show were ever to come back in any other capacity, would you be interested in returning to it? <laughs> it depends on the budget, number one. <laughs> it depends on how many people I can hire. It depends on exactly what we're doing. Like, are we doing a movie or are we doing, are we going back to doing episodes? If the formula for all that is is what I what's desirable, yeah. Yeah, I think it would be fun. Uh, just, I would need, I would definitely need more, more money and less stress. It was so not for MTV. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Thank God. <laughs> Amazon more like Amazon Prime, maybe a little HBO, you know, that kind of money. Ah, yeah. Well, hey, Amazon HBO just money. bought, uh, Amazon just bought MGM and that's where Teen Wolf is owned mostly. So hopefully Jeff Bezos so who knows? come back down from space and give us uh, <laughs> some more Teen Wolf. <laughs> could stay there i would definitely i would do it with the correct conditions where my my crew and also the cast and everybody on there has has time for themselves the good thing about teen wolf is we were such a good family and and we kind of just fed off each other which kept us going but but mental health in these shows is very important and i've worked on shows where we've worked those kind of hours and the, the energy wasn't there and i would go home really sad you know, and wake up pretty sad. And that's just no way to live your life, you know? Not at all. Yeah. So yeah, money. (laughs) (laughs) Danny, do you have any upcoming projects you could tell us about? Oh, well, I don't know if I told you what, but I actually left the industry like two years ago, which is, yeah, I mean, I'm not indefinite. I still am part of the the customer's union. I I maintain my my status there because you never know what's going to happen. But the last show I did was Fresh Off the Boat. I did okay. their their season before their finale. And during while I was on that show, one of my closest friends started a travel tech company, which uh, in, is involved with uh, with hotel payments, which is something completely different from costumes or anything movie related. But he offered me my same salary that I make every year with 
half the work. Like I can work at home or I'm at his place and I get to travel. Fantastic. Well, Danny, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you yes. for joining us oh, today. Oh, it's nice to see you, Will. And it's nice to see you, Calissa and Kate. Yeah, it's been wonderful talking to you. Yeah, thank oh, you yes. so much for sitting down with us. Anytime, yeah. We had a great talk with Danny about his time on Team Wolf, but now we've got to get back to talking about spoilers. So guys, we get our first mention of a were jaguar here. And it does something else than what they're describing in this episode, right? Yeah, because there's, I, I think there's discussion about you know, it it kills for revenge. Yeah. And that isn't ultimately what happens there, really. Right. Uh, I think re- Kate had revenge against the world, so. That's true. For existing. Yeah. I think she was just really pissed. She, like, kind of died. Yeah. I think what they're talking about here is actually a Kanaima. I think there's another letter in there. Watching the episode this time, it was... The first time I realized that in the classroom scene when Peter blows chalk dust in Lydia's face, that it foreshadows Lydia blowing the wolfsbane dust in Derek's face in Party Guest. I hadn't made that connection before. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff, like I said, that I've noticed this rewatch. Just there's such amazing details to the show that will carry on for seasons later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Y'all smart. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited to get to Party Guest too, because it's such a good episode. It is. It is good, yeah. So we have Scott saying, but you did see it kill someone, which is probably why it tried to kill you and probably still wants to kill you and probably won't stop until you're dead. And he he tells that to Styles. So we were right in our previous episode about the reason it was after him. But also it does seem like the Kanima just stops unless I'm really misremembering everything else that happens. No, it stops. (laughs) Okay. Well, if I remember correctly, there were two theories. The first was that Styles was a witness. And the second was that Matt ships it. And that was the purpose. And if you take that interpretation instead of Scott's theory here, the fact that the Kanima doesn't attack Styles again makes perfect sense. And really the only other time Styles is really menaced by the Kanima is when he's paralyzed on top of Derek, which again, supports that hypothesis. Like, I just want those crazy kids to get together. Was that Matt's voice? No, that's my Kanima. My Kanima voice. Maybe it sounds more like parcel tongue, but I don't want to do that. I've made my decision. So why doesn't the Kanima Venom actually work on Lydia? I have no idea. (laughs) So we find out later, obviously, that she's a Banshee, but Mm -hmm. I don't know what that would have to do with having, like, immunity to the Venom. (laughs) What? I was going to say it wasn't Kanima Venom because Isaac clearly touched the thing that had it on there <laughs> and it didn't do anything to him. So he's just an idiot. <laughs> he's just a handsome idiot. So Will's theory is user error. <laughs> user error. I think it's because she loved Jackson. Oh, So I think it's the same reason that she is able to cure his canimanus and bring him back as a proper werewolf that the canima seeks a master but having a beloved is better i love that theory yeah that's cool that's cool was morel closer to it with the translation than master is master actually more incorrect is friend more accurate that that's what the canima is actually seeking well the the it's Lydia who translates it as master, right? And Lydia wouldn't get it that wrong. Yeah, Lydia wouldn't get that wrong. Um, well, but whoever wrote it maybe got it right. I don't know. I'm just trying to 
trying to no, I, trying to make I this think, work. I think it's out. more like it it does seek a master, but master can kind of mean different things too. Or or, or are they in a, a dom sub relationship? <laughs> yeah, a master of the heart, <laughs> among other things. Yeah, I think maybe there's some not that it's an incorrect translation, but that there's some nuance lost in translation because he found Matt or Matt found him. Matt became the canamaster, if you will, and sent it to kill things. But that wasn't what Lydia chose to do. I don't know if I wouldn't say power over him, but power. Yeah, I got that you. she had. Okay, I like that. Do you guys think that Theo would have been really thrilled to have been around at this point and become the Canima master? Who? Theo. Oh. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Uh, <laughs> I forgot. Theo. <laughs> uh, wow. Tell me how you really feel about the character, Will. This is very much in the weeds, but I don't buy that Morel who is familiar with most romance languages, would confuse the words for friend and master. I think she just told Allison that. Yeah, she was lying. For what purpose? To avoid giving Allison information about a monster that could get her killed. My stance is she's friends with Deaton, after all, and that's just how they roll. So just team obscure everything? Yeah, I mean, you know, once you know that she's an emissary too, she's just, you know, straight up lying. But who's emissary? What's her actual agenda? She's looking after all of the students. By giving them false information that could ultimately get them hurt or well, killed? Yeah, she's you know, she, she's, a, she's stirring the pot. She's a, she's a pot stirrer. Maybe she knows about the nuance and she's just trying to get them to go be friends with Jackson in the hopes that someone can cure him of his douchiness. Ooh, so kind of expanding on my theory that... Exactly. That she's trying to get them to act on a more compassionate interpretation of that section, maybe? Yeah. Right. Little does she know that his douchiness is terminal. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 6, Frenemy. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.